Good to be here with you all this morning. I'm thankful that I could be. Uh, by midweek, I had really almost lost my voice. And uh, by Thursday, I was kind of struggling to sing or talk. And uh, so I'm very thankful to be here. You may turn in John 17. Thank you for your prayers this morning for the kids and family. They're recovering and hopefully getting better. Very thankful for Robin and Scott and their willingness to step up and step in and take care of matters. It's been very good to know that I could reach out to them and depend on them. Well, this morning I want to close out uh, John 17, verses 25 and 26. I want to read those before we begin. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. As we come to the close of this prayer of the Lord Jesus, we're reminded of the overall sense in verses 25 and 26 of something that has been expressed all along the way. To know the Son is to know the Father. And our understanding of God himself is wrapped up in the very person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. R.C. Sproul was once asked a question. What is the greatest need of people in the world? He replied, people in the world need to know who God is. He was asked a second question, what is the greatest need of people in the church? He replied, people in the church need to know who God is. This is the real function of this prayer, is to bring us to a place not only to understand a practical sense of the importance of prayer, because our very Lord Jesus Christ prayed himself, it is also to understand that in his prayer, he is revealing God to his people. It is to know God that matters most. This morning we want to look at three questions. Number one, who does not know God? Who does not know God? Jesus says in verse 25, calling out to the Father, O righteous Father, the one who is set apart and holy, although the world has not known you. This is one of the minority places that this word cosmos in John's gospel is used not in the sense of the whole of the cosmos, but more in the context or in, in, in emphasis of the people. 
We certainly know there's an overarching theme in John's gospel which points to the whole of the cosmos, including the people, the heavens, the stars, the universes, the galaxies. And yet here he's talking about the world in the sense of knowing God the Father, to know God the Father. So there's more of an emphasis here by John laid upon the people. People know, stars don't necessarily know in the same way. We must understand here, as one writer says, the world can survive ignorance of nearly anything, but not this. The world can't survive an ignorance of not knowing God the Father. They can't survive that kind of ignorance. The problem, though, is the world wants to engineer a purely human culture. The world wants to engineer purely a human culture. The identification of sin in the world is found in the fact that the world is trying to engineer and produce something that is humanistic in all of its ways. The world seeks to deny God, but it is ultimately impossible to deny your creator. See, there's this tug of war, this push and pull, this activity going on in the world to engineer something humanistic, to, in a sense, deny the very creator. And yet in every turn, as Romans 1 points out, it is impossible to deny the creator. Think about it this way for just a moment. A child outwardly will have some resemblance of his or her parents. Maybe it's some minor resemblance. Maybe sometimes it's major resemblance. I mean, the moment after JB was born and I held him, and I just looked at him, I turned into Beth, and I said, look, it's your dad. It was like I was holding this little Ken Pullen. I mean, right there. I can remember Beth's dad standing out at the grill, grilling hamburgers with his hands on his hips. And then one day I turned, and JB began to speak to Beth and I after coming inside. He says... You know, Dad? And I went, Beth, it's your dad! <laughs> These resemblances at times may be minor or major. But these children cannot get away from these biological, biological ingrained things that make them look like or act like a parent or a close family member related. Even if they want to severely, physically alter their appearance, by some surgery, their DNA will reveal who they really are. Maybe one day we figure out a way to alter our DNA in a way that people say, look, we've altered it, it's over with, it's done. This is only done in rebellion to God who made us and he knows what we are 
and who we are. See, we may rebel against the knowledge of God, but God in and of himself is knowledge. He knows all things. And no one will ever escape his knowing. They cannot alter themselves to any point at which God cannot and will not know and say, I created you. I created you. Thomas Manton says, it is evil that they do not know. It is doubly evil that they desire not to know. And Spurgeon says, fallen man is by nature ever ready to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the world can survive ignorance of nearly anything but not this. The world wants to engineer a purely human culture and the world seeks to deny God. But it is ultimately impossible to deny your creator. The world leads itself in perpetual sinful fruit picking. The world leads itself in perpetual sinful fruit picking. This is what Spurgeon is getting at. There's always a sense ingrained in our sinful human natures that we're arriving at the tree once again. Always with that opportunity right before us. And yet because of the imputed sin of Adam to our natures, we continue to go to the tree and sin against God. Jesus' prayer Here takes a turn in verse 25 to say, although the world has not known you, he says, yet I have known you. Yet I have known you. He gives us an indication here in this brief phrase and summing up the whole of the prayer. What is it that will stop this perpetual sinful cycle? God is the only one who can stop the deadly cycle. God is the only one who can stop the deadly cycle. Now, think about that for a moment in the context of humanity. Humanity is always claiming what it can do. Humanity is always talking about humanity's power, humanity's capability. And yet, it cannot stop rebelling against God in and of itself. As a culture, we do it. As individuals, we do it because we are of the race of Adam. And we sin against God willingly, desirously, wantingly. The whole purpose of the Lord Jesus coming is that the deadly cycle may be stopped for many who will repent and believe. There is a world problem, and it can only be stopped by God. And it comes through the very Son being sent. Why? Because the Son knows the Father. And because the Son reveals the Father to those who know Him. He says, 
Yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. The these here is speaking of the disciples, now those present and future. He's pointing to these have known that you sent me. Father, they know that you sent me. And what is it that the Son has done? I have made your name known to them. Remember the identification of Jesus using uh, the, the phrase, your name. He's not just saying, I've gone around to people and I've said, God, God, God the Father, God, God, Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh, God, God. He hasn't just walked around in this per- perpetual sense of saying the same thing over. I just called a name. Name, 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 name. No, The name is the identification of who the very God of all creation is, the God of the universe. Who is Jehovah? It's Jesus. The proclamation of the very Son of God is that which is known about who God is and Him bringing it into knowledge in revelation through the very gospel itself. It is Jesus through His life that proclaims and lives righteousness he just called out and said oh righteous father how are we to know what righteousness is we know it through the son we see it revealed through the son no one has ever lived the life that christ has lived on this earth. Well, this is the answer to the second question. Who does know God? It's the Son. Who does not know God? The world. Who does know God? The Son. And he knows God exclusively and exhaustively. Now, this is pretty important because when you think about knowing God exclusively, in one sense, that means there is some exclusivity in the understanding of who God is. This means that the Son knows things about God the Father that you and I do not. He comprehends and understands things about the Father that you and I do not. And to some degree, he'll know and understand things exclusively that we cannot. This is really important because in the exclusivity that the Son has in his knowledge of the Father, he is able to intercede in a way that none of us would be able to. Even you've heard me thousands of times say to you the importance of Christ living a perfect life. I say that to you. We've taught it in different ways. There's certain things that you've come to understand and I've come to understand about what it means for Christ to live a perfect life, that he lived out every one of the Ten Commandments in thought and in action. 
Now, I tell you that Jesus never had a sinful thought. And yet, in reality, you and I really don't know what that means. Not in the fullness. We have some knowledge of it. We have good knowledge of it. We have some right knowledge that's important that we need to have. But there's pieces of that that are so exclusive in the context of the knowledge of, the, of God the Father through God the Son that you and I can't fully comprehend that. When Scott prayed a little earlier about our sin and he went through portion just praying out the Ten Commandments over the body of Christ. Have you thought about the fact that you and I will be very tempted today to do very earthly things just because that's what we want to do. And the moment we have those thoughts and desires to do those earthly things on the Lord's day and to take pleasure in everything in the context of what is humanly speaking around us, we're in a thoughtful pattern that the Lord Jesus never lived out. There was never a holy day, one day out of seven, where the Lord Jesus struggled to worship God rightly in his mind. He didn't have a moment of, well, I'm a little tired. I don't think I want to walk down to the synagogue today. I'm a little worn out. I had a rough day yesterday. You know, I kind of traveled and preached around the sea, and these people have kind of taxed me, and I... You know, I spent Friday in a really difficult way. I don't really want to get up and go to the synagogue today. I think I'll just rest here my way. Lord Jesus never thought that way. He, that, that was never even a thought that entered his mind. You see how important it is for us to know the Father through the Son? Because the Son knows the Father exclusively and exhaustively in ways that you and I can't fully understand. We're in need of his work. The Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father, and the Spirit knows both the Father and the Son. We'll see in just a little while how important that is in our sense of looking at this prayer. That even the spirit of God is wrapped up in the context of this prayer. Well, our third question this morning is, who has made God known? Well, it's God it's the son that knows God and it's the son that has made him known. That which can now be known, he has made known. And that which shall ever be known, he has made known. Here we have in the text both the idea of what is the aorist tense and the future tense. Manton says, all our knowledge is hearsay. We have all things secondhand. We know because he knows. It kind of puts the gospel in clearer light in some ways. 
for all the people out there searching to know God by different manners, different ways, different ideas, all of those things are complete failures. The only way to know God is through the Son of God. It puts Jesus' words in greater light. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. Those are not just phrases he's throwing out as he teaches and he talks to his disciples. Just little glib things that he throws out to say, oh, this sounds cool. I think I'll say this. I am the truth. No one can know truth apart from the Son. I am the life. No one can know life apart from the Son. There is absolutely zero possible ways to know God apart from the Son. To truly and really know Him. As one writer says, our future turns upon what we know. It's not what he feels or what he hopes. It's what he knows. Our future turns upon what we know about God. It means asking serious theological questions. Do I know God? And if I do know God, how do I know that I know God? He goes on and says, Our future turns upon what we know about God from the Son. The only way to know what we know and how we know it about who God is, is through the Son. This is why knowing God through His Son becomes of the utmost importance. Are you and I growing and gaining knowledge about the very Son, the Lord Jesus? Are we growing in our understanding of who He is and the gospel that He brought about that is bringing us to have a greater knowledge of the Father Himself that we would know God? Thomas Manton once again says it is a horrible thing to think of God out of Christ. All knowledge of God outside of Christ is uncomfortable. This is why it's a great, great, huge problem for any church to begin to make an appeal to know God and to separate that from knowing Christ and knowing Him rightly. Some churches today start to whittle away at the deity of Christ. And when you do that, you're making knowing God very uncomfortable. When you begin to whittle away at the very work of Christ, 
When you spend time thinking of Christ's death on the cross as something that that could be just a a sign and symbol in a sense uh, that is not actually applied in any way, Some say that the death of Christ is merely the idea of persecution. And yet we would say, no, the death of Christ is the idea of atonement. Some want to apply the death of Christ in such a broad way that everyone is saved. when you do that are you not making knowing God very uncomfortable because God is holy and just in all of his ways is there actually no justice in God you start doing that think about the teaching that you're whittling away from Christ himself Christ spoke more of hell than he did heaven if you're going to say that everyone is saved then what do we do with the doctrine of hell that Christ himself preached and taught Do we start to put it aside? Well, you must if you go that direction. Without Christ, the doctrine of God is so big and so large that we will be swallowed up in it as if it were an abyss that completely, completely took us over without hope. Robert Trail, one of the Puritans, said it this way, An absolute God is a pit and an abyss that all who go near it and fall into it are destroyed. It was a bold saying of Luther, he quoted, Let men do as they please. I will have nothing to do with an absolute God. If men go but one step in studying God outside of Christ, they wander immediately and dangerously. That's why the doctrine of Christ, the Son, is so important to us. This is why the idea of Him making the very name of God known is so important in understanding who He is. Because when we are confronted with a holy God, we are like the people of Israel standing at the bottom of Mount Sinai saying to Moses, you go up, you talk to him. We don't want to see him. How could we approach him? How could we even be near him? How could we be brought into his kingdom? How could we live in his presence if it were not for the Son? The Son making him known. The Son appeasing His wrath. The Son being the perpetual intercessor for the people of God.
Well, practically speaking, after these three questions are answered, it brings us to a place to understand some important matters. What can we say, first of all, about the church? As one writer noted, the church is a school. It's not a hospital, not a bank, not a nursery. It's not a counseling center. It's not a social network. It's not a political rally. It's not a shelter. Why is the church a school? Because the church teaches us the right understanding of the law. And the law teaches us of our sin. And the church teaches us rightly, if it does so properly, who Christ is. So we may see the remedy, the very remedy of that death which is approaching because of our sin. But if you begin to whittle Christ away, then you don't know the danger and you don't see God for who he is. And God is no longer this immense being that we should be in awe of, bowing before him. He just becomes a cosmic buddy. There comes a time in a relationship between a father and a son that the son is in an awkward stage, growing, getting bigger, voice changing, having a relationship with their father that they didn't have before, wanting to be right there doing the same things that their dad is doing, and yet at the same time, they're still the son. It's like us as humans. We should want to know God but in the awkwardness of that, re- that relationship should never come to a place that we treat God as if he's our buddy. There should always be a sense of respect for him. A child who grows as an adult may have a better relationship as an adult with their parents, and yet there ought always to be a sense of respect. Honor your father and your mother. The world is missing this because the church is not the school that it needs to be. The church has become a school that just teaches things that don't matter. The church has become a school that it no longer has good curriculum. The thing about the church is its curriculum is rigorous. Think about it. What Jesus said is one of the main things to know in the church is to know God. That's a pretty rigorous curriculum, right? That's no small thing. If I came to you next week and I said, I want you folks to be ready. I'm going to give an exam. I'm going to give you an exam to know God. And we're going to have a full essay time of you writing what it means to know God and who he is. You'd say, wait, 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 I need more than a week. Well, the church's curriculum ought to be rigorous because the gospel's curriculum 
is rigorous. But thankfully, the professor wrote the book. Some of you remember always going into classes in school, especially college or, or maybe upper level stuff, and you had this professor, and most of them did it, they had a book they had written on the topic, and you might have two or three books you had to buy, but you always had to buy theirs? There's a reason for that. Well, one reason is, is because that was the only way for them to make money on that book. That was one, one reason. But there's another reason for that. It's because they had spent a lot of time on this particular subject, studying, reading, writing on it, and they had put this book together, and they thought they had material that you needed to know. In our case, God is very gracious. Because even though the curriculum is rigorous, he wrote the book. And he gives us what we need. And he sent a professor who knows the material because he wrote it as well. And the professor is the Lord Jesus. A good professor leads not only in the teaching out of his mouth, but in the living of the subject. And the Lord Jesus did it well and continues to do it well. And thankfully, this school's tuition is affordable. It's a free grace scholarship, as one writer said. A free grace scholarship. So funny to me today that we live in a world that wants so many things for free, and yet the one free offering that guarantees the greatest gift of all is the one that the world continues to reject. You have to recognize, though, these graduates of this school of learning, they're either dead or dying. Because they graduate in Christ. D.G. Hart, a fairly well-known Presbyterian, wrote this. He said, the purpose of the church is not to save the world, but to save God's people from the world. So many times we only look at the church in what it's supposed to do in an outward sense. And forget that there's an inward sense of a school that needs to go on and be taught in the church. How can you talk about evangelism when you don't know the gospel? How can you talk about evangelism if you don't think sin and depravity are thoroughgoing and active in the life of every human being by their very nature and core. This is how you get ideas where people are basically out there teaching people you just need to be made a little more emotionally better. We need to help you feel better about yourself. No, you need to be changed. By the very Holy Spirit of God, you need the gospel of God to be applied to your very soul because you are dead in your sins and your trespasses. 
before we can send people out, we need to make sure that this place, this people, and other people groups like us are places that are saving God's people from the world. When you teach people nothing about sin, there will be no hope. Rob and I on the way back had to take a detour into downtown Atlanta. It's a bad accident on the interstate. And we're passing all these churches in downtown Atlanta. And most of them that we passed had some liberal mantra up on the sign or hanging somewhere. The world has gone to a place to where when you say to someone what you are doing is sin, that means you don't love them. Wrong. We have to be able to speak and know and understand what sin is. So the gospel is put forward rightly. Most churches today are so much focused on appeasing the world, not being a place to save God's people from the world. Jesus ends this prayer by saying, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. He wants the love of God to be in the people and he says, I am in them. How does Christ say he is in them? This goes back to our understanding of previous chapters where Jesus himself promised the comforter, the very Holy Spirit. And it's Christ who indwells believers, but he does so by the very work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells believers. He indwells God's elect. The Holy Spirit changes their dead souls. The Holy Spirit enables them to repent and believe. The Holy Spirit enables them to hate and fight sin. How is this possible? Well, the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son. And being one with the Son, when he indwells a believer, therefore the believer is in Christ. And by the work of the Spirit, Christ is in them. The Holy Spirit applies the work of the Son and fully accomplishes the work of the Father in all its ways. It's the Holy Spirit 
who works in and through the word to illumine right knowledge. If any of you, if any of us has come to understand and believe the gospel, the reason we've repented and believed is because of the work of the Spirit, the very promised comforter. And yet none of that has been apart from God's word to his people. The Holy Spirit is illumining that truth of God's word to us. And every time the Holy Spirit works according to the word, what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's causing and helping us to know God. And Jesus is closing this prayer saying that the most important thing he has done is to make the Father known. I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thomas Manton said, God's drawing of sinners is not a blind force, but there is teaching with it. Therefore, cry for knowledge. Have you prayed continually and sincerely that God would grant you knowledge of who he is through his son by the work of the spirit? That in understanding God, you would know more about who you are as a sinner. I think we need to heed those words to cry for knowledge that we may know God rightly through the Son by the work of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious that you give us this day to glory in you, to worship you as a day of rest, to rest in you in all things. We praise you that in the time of worship we can sing and pray unto you and hear your word read and we've been able to hear it preached. We ask that your spirit continue the work that you have sent him to do. That we would know the son according to your word and through knowing him we would know you all the more. The one true living God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. We pray for this knowledge given through your word by the power of the Spirit that we may grow and understand who we are as your creatures. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.